I often ask myself, what do we as Christians have that is so good that it's a shame that the world has to live without it? The answer, I believe, is the good news about Jesus, and that is worth sharing. This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I pray that today's message shares that good news and that you are richly blessed by it. Amen. Church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your boundless love. We thank you for the life you've given us, God, and I pray that we don't I pray that we don't just sleepwalk through it. I pray, God, that we can be alert and aware to your grace and your mercy and your presence everywhere in the world around us. God, I pray that we can be aware of you today in this place, that you will speak, Father, for your children are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to introduce someone to you. His name is Jared Wallace. Now there is Jared, and Jared is a runner. Jared was born with running in his blood. All right, as a matter of fact, when, when he was less, before he could walk, he had ridden in his, um, in his carriage, in his stroller, for an entire marathon's worth. So he, he, he was raised by runners, running's in his blood, he became a runner, all right, and, and, and he ended up winning almost every race he ran. Hopes were high. The word Olympics was often said when talking about his future. And it became his dream. His senior year in high school, Jared signed with the Georgia Bulldogs. Can't be perfect. (laughs) But he signed with the Georgia Bulldogs and was going to run for them on a full scholarship. Now, Jared had disclosed to them that he had recently been diagnosed with something called chronic exertional compartment syndrome. I know, you're thinking, wait, you kiss your mother with that mouth. (laughs) I know. But basically what that that means is it's an exercise-induced muscle and nerve condition that causes extreme pain and swelling. And for years, he had actually been noticing the symptoms. And every time he exerted himself, the pressure in his calves grew worse and worse and worse, and the pain would not go away no matter what he tried. And finally, Jared decided to have a surgery to correct the problem. But the surgery had very serious complications. And he lost more than 60% of muscle in one of his legs from the knee down. And his running career was in serious jeopardy. And he, he, he tried to run around the block, but the pain was too great. And he, he completed the run out of sheer will, but he collapsed in his front lawn in tears, in anger, in lament, because he knew that his dream had just died. Because he couldn't run the way he once had, he began to run away from his pain and run away from his faith. And he turned to drugs and he turned to alcohol 
and he tried sleeping around and nothing ever really took away the despair and the pain. The dream completely died the day that he had to have his leg amputated from the knee down. And that surgery was successful. But six weeks later, Jared took his first pain-free step in years using a prosthetic leg. But the dream of Olympic running was over. In Genesis chapter 37 through 50, we read the story of Joseph. I'm going to provide a reading from those from from chapter 37 and it's our tradition to stand in honor of the word of God and recognizing the authority of God and so if you would if you're able stand as we read together from Genesis chapter 37 verses 3 through 8 Now Israel that's Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he, he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> His brother said to him, oh, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. You may be seated. So like I said, Genesis 37 through 50 tells the story of Joseph who had a dream from God. Now Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. Now if you're not sure who Jacob is, I'll go ahead and fill you in. This is the same Jacob as in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like famous Jacob. Like patriarch Jacob. Like one of the big three. Jacob's got this son, Joseph, and Joseph is his favorite. He's been given the Technicolor dream coat by his dad, just to keep you following along. And that signified his favorite status among his 11 brothers. And then he has this dream, a dream in which his 11 brothers all bow down to him. All right, so we're going to take a timeout. Or, as some of the younger generation like to say, we're going to pause. And I'm going to come over here to my young folks. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of just helpful advice. All right? Do with it what you will. But should you ever have a dream in which your siblings bow down to you, don't tell them. That's, that's the whole advice. Just, you don't need to, what he should have said was nothing. But what he says is, hey guys, guess what dream God gave me? I'm going to be great. You're all going to bow down to me. 
Well, they decide they don't like that dream. They don't like him, and they decide we're going to take him out. So one day, Joseph is now 17 years old. His brothers are out working, and his father, Joseph, says, I would like you to go and check on them. And you say, hold on, isn't 17 old enough to be doing a few chores of his own? It is. But he's the favorite. They're all working. He's not. But he's going to go and check on them just to make sure they're okay. And so he goes and he finds them. And they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Tough greeting. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns, which is a, a, like a 10-foot, 15-foot pit that's dry. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Nothing. Nothing will come of his dreams. If you throw him in a pit and leave him. So they decide to do that. But Reuben, Reuben says, hold on. Let's not take his life. And Joseph is like, they've thrown him in the pit, and Joseph from the pit is like, thank you, Reuben. You're my favorite. Everyone listen to Reuben. Judah says, okay, we shouldn't kill him. I like, I like you too, Judah. You're one of my favorites too. Let's instead make a little money off of him by selling him as a slave. Judah! I thought you were my friend. So Joseph is sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is an Egyptian. Uh, he is important. The captain of Pharaoh's guard. And so Joseph has gone from favorite, favorite son, to slave. Okay, that's, that's not the trajectory he had mapped out when he threw on that coat every morning. Favorite son to slave. Well, at Potiphar's house, jo Joseph finds success. He, 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 he's, he once again succeeds and he has some leadership gifts. Potiphar recognizes this, takes note and says, I'm just going to put you in charge of the house. Okay. And he's like, well, okay. He's like, go ahead and take care of all of it. Well, Potiphar has a wife who also takes note of Joseph. And she decides she likes Joseph. And so she wants to sleep with Joseph. And so she, she starts coming on to him and he's like, not a chance. You don't understand. I'm not getting involved in this. She keeps on seducing, keeps on seducing, keeps on seducing. Finally, she takes hold of him. He leaves, he runs, and she ends up taking his coat. Man, he has trouble with coats. Second time, coats have been a problem. Because she then turns around and says to everyone, hey, he tried to rape me and he ran off and I was able to grab his coat. Falsely accused. 
but he's imprisoned and thrown into a pit, thrown into the dungeon for the second time. You also have the thing with pits. He's thrown into the dungeon a second uh, again. For the second time, Joseph is a victim. His situation just can't ever seem to get over the hump. Like, it, like he was favorite son and then he became a slave. And then at least he worked his way up to like household master. And then he's now in prison. Like it just gets worse and worse. He can't buy a break. Maybe you've, maybe you've felt like that. It seems like things are going well, but then I just know the other shoe is going to drop and I can't buy a break. I'm just, I just can't quite get over the hump. Amazingly enough, even in prison, Joseph's leadership is once again recognized. He's promoted. Okay, so he's going to take care of the other prisoners. But I'll I'll tell you this, chief prisoner is not the plan he had for his life. It's better than not being chief prisoner, I guess. But here he is as chief prisoner, and, 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 and he's sitting there. This is not what he had dreamed for his life. However, he makes a couple friends, and they have some dreams. And they say, we don't know what they mean. And he says, you know, I'm kind of good at this dream thing. I can tell you what it means. And they said, okay, here's our dreams. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he says to the cupbearer uh, of Pharaoh who is there in, in prison with him, he says, man, your dream, there's actually great news. You're getting out of here. You're going to be restored to your position. It's going to be great. Oh, that's awesome. And the other guy's like, what about mine? What does my dream mean? And he's like, we don't have to talk about it right now. And he's like, no, give it to me. I can take it. I can take it. What is it? Yeah, you don't have to worry about what's going to come later. All right, so it's not all great news, but nevertheless, he gives the, he gives the one guy good news, gives the one guy bad news, and, and, and the guy with the good news is like, awesome, the thank you, and he's like, okay, but when you get out, all I'm asking is that you remember me, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, forget forever, we're friends for life, man, we're in here. He gets out and immediately forgets about Joseph for two years, <clears throat> Joseph stays in prison. Until Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh can't find anyone who can tell him what his dream means. And the cupbearer overhears it and goes, oh, wait, I got a dream guy. And he's like, you have a dream guy? He's like, yeah, a guy that does all the dreams. He's great. Well, why didn't you tell me about this dream guy? Oh, I can bring him up. He's in prison, though. Okay, well, I want to see him. So they get Joseph cleaned up. They bring him in. Got to talk to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's dreams are, are, are about warning how there's going to be seven years of just bumper crop. They're going to get a ton of food to grow. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph, interpreting the dream, says, you know what you ought to do? is while times are good, you should store up some food so that when times go bad, you have it in supply. And Pharaoh goes, that's really smart. Did you come up with that yourself? And he goes, I've been been working on a few things. (laughs) And Pharaoh says, well, you're just the guy to do it. To do what? 
to lead the whole thing. That's a good plan. You should do the plan. I put you in charge of doing the plan. Now, you say, that's impossible. Like that would happen. Okay, this only happens because God is telling the story. Okay, just like deciding to build an entire nation from an infertile older couple. It only happens because God is the one telling the story. Okay, uh, he, now he chooses this slave turned ex-con to run the country. And he's not just going to save Egypt, he's going to save other nations as well. In fact, his brothers down in Israel realize they need some food. And so they come up to ask Egypt for some food. And this amazing thing happens. Joseph is sitting there one day and he turns around and he's got these people bowing down in front of him. And he says, go ahead and rise. What do you need? And they stand up and he recognizes it's his brothers. And he says, I told you you'd bow to me. Wait, that's not what he did. It's what he could have done. He was like, I had this dream. But he doesn't say any of that. Look at what he does instead. In Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 5, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. There was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He doesn't gloat over the fact that they actually bowed down to him, just as his dream had said. Instead, he forgives them, he feeds them, he relocates them to some pretty great land where they can build their families and they can grow food rather than starve to death. All because he believes he is a part of God's bigger story. And, and, and I need you to hear that. He said, God saved people through what you did, even though what you did was to harm me. God did, God worked in it so that we could say, that doesn't mean God caused everything. God didn't make Joseph's brothers hate him. God didn't make the brothers sell him. God didn't make Potiphar's wife tempt him. God didn't make him get wrongfully imprisoned. And God didn't make him be forgotten by his friends. But God worked in everything. Good or bad, God was at work. Romans 8.28 says that God works in all things for the good of those who, loved him and are, who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is at work in everything in Joseph's life. God uses everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, to try and bring things back to what God's plan is. 
So as I reflected on this story, I've thought about a couple of things um, that stood out to me. Things to remember when it feels like your dreams have been dashed. When the dream and the plan that you had for what your life was going to be looks really different from where your life currently is. And I, and I want you to remember a couple of things. One is your story is part of God's story. Your story is part of God's story. Joseph understood that the overall purpose of his life was to fit into a small part of God's larger plan for the world. He knew that his life's purpose was actually greater than simply playing out his own personal dreams. Think about that for a second. Joseph believed that the purpose of his life was bigger than simply accomplishing what he wanted. I got to be honest, sometimes I'm way too selfish to think like that. That I, I don't think about life any bigger than getting done what I want to get done. He knew that he was on earth to be a part of God's story. All of our smaller dreams are subject to change with different circumstances. But God's dream for your life is to commit yourself to God's glory. And you can commit yourself to God's glory and purpose in spite of dashed dreams. You can do that when you believe deep down that God loves you. That God is for you. That God will not forsake you. So that even when my dreams don't seem to be adding up and I seem to be at the bottom, I can know God loves me. God is for me. God will not forsake me. Remember that, remember that even when the story is bigger than you. It seems if we did the math like Joseph lost about 13 years. In the pits, in slavery, in prison. And we look at that and we say, man, he lost 13 of his best years. But if you look at it from God's perspective, they weren't lost years. In the bigger perspective, they were saving years. Not only for Joseph, but for his family, for people, for the whole world in that region. They were saving years. God was preparing him and, and, and working through what was going on in order that he could do good for the world. Those are not wasted years. You see, my job every day is to put my life in God's hands. God's job every day is to use my circumstances for God's glory. My job, I want to make sure they get it, Kenny. My job is to put my life in God's hands every day. God's job is to use the circumstances in my life to God's glory. Glory. 
You see, here's the second thing I want you to learn. Not only is your story part of God's story, God goes the distance with you. When, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, God goes the distance with you. You see, it, it might be easy for Joseph to have said, where is God? When my dreams are falling apart, where is God? I was the favorite son, now I'm a slave. I at least had something, now I'm in prison. Where is God? Well, if you pay attention to the text, look at what it says in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2. The Lord was... What do you got there? With Joseph. So that he prospered even when he was a slave in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. Okay, now look at chapter 39 and verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. So where was God when Joseph's dreams were falling apart? With him. God was with him. You see, the enemy has a favorite speech. The enemy likes to say something like this. When we're down, when we're feeling like our dreams are falling apart and life hasn't ended up where it's supposed to end up, the enemy likes to say this. He likes to say, you know, if God were really with you, it would be a lot different than it would be right now. A lot different than it is. God's not with you. It would be better. It would be better. Church, I need you to know this. God always loves you. Amen? Amen. God is always for you. Amen? Amen. And God always has a plan. Amen? Amen? God is with you in the pit. God is with you on the auction block. God is with you in temptation. God is with you in prison. God is with you when you've been forgotten. God is with you in Pharaoh's court. In years of plenty and in years of, of, of lean, God is with you. God is with you even when your brothers return. God is with you in every circumstance. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor shall I forsake you. God is with you. Jared Wallace took his first run 12 weeks after the surgery that amputated his leg, and it felt amazing. And so he set a new goal to compete in the Paralympic Games. He began training. And once he began training, guess what happened? Bursitis set in. And for weeks he was laid back up on his couch. And as he sat on his couch resting and, and, and questioning, God quietly used that small moment to impress on Jared's heart the following words. It doesn't matter if you do important things. What matters is that you draw near to me. Jared returned to his faith. Returned to God. And in time, the bursitis went away, 
and Jared resumed his training regimen. In 2012, Jared qualified for the U.S. team that was headed to London in two events he was going to run, the 400-meter sprint and the 4 by 100 relay. Expectations were really high for the relay team, but they finished third. It had been a really rough race for all of them. One of his teammates, it turns out, had even stepped over the line on one of the exchanges, so they were disqualified. Even more present in Jared's mind was his own blunder that he had tripped during an exchange and almost fell. He was devastated. And as he lay in bed unable to sleep, that night he asked God, what's the purpose of all of these trials? And God gave him this answer. He said, I've given you an amazing story. When you go back home, I want you to share your story. And Jared said, share my story. I, I tripped and fell. And he goes, that's right. And many more will relate to stumbling than they will relate to a medal. So Jared came home and he shared his story. And he kept running. And the following year, he qualified for the world championships in France. In the 100 meter, the 200 meter, and the 4 by 100 relay. During the prelims of the 200 meter, Jared broke the world record. He was blown away that he had broken the world record. He was feeling great and the interviewers came and they, and they flocked around him and the cameras were going off and the video cameras were everywhere and it was kind of overwhelming. And, and the first question they asked him was, Jared, are you going to come out here tomorrow and run even faster? And kind of shell-shocked and stunned, he sort of said, I, I hope so. And they weren't really impressed with that. You see, they wanted, they wanted more arrogance. They wanted more cockiness. They wanted more confidence. But, but as Jared played back in his mind their question... All he heard was that his best, the best in the world, was already not good enough for these people and they wanted to know what he was going to do next. Just broken the world record. Are you going to be faster? Is it not good enough? Jared knew that he could never satisfy people. But he knew that God was satisfied with him. Because he had found his own satisfaction in God. Not in world records. And he heard God tell him. Jared, the race has already been won. All I'm asking you to do is show up and let my light shine through you. The next day, Jared showed up and he ran. And he crossed the finish line and he had set a new world record, breaking his own record from the day before. 
and on the blade that serves as the lower leg on his right leg, Jared had inscribed a phrase that made everything abundantly clear. It says, I run for him. I run for him. The race has already been run. Just show up and let my light shine through you. Kenny, you can go ahead and bring your team up. I don't know what you may have lost along the way. I don't know exactly what place you're in right now or how you feel about the dreams that have or have not turned out. But I do know this. God is not finished with you yet. And that you may not run the exact race that you thought you would be running, but God still has a race for you. And so the question is, will you run your race for God? I run for him. Will you run your race for God? Some of you have been running this race for a while and, and, and you may feel like, you may feel like you've let God down or you may feel like God has let you down. And today would be a great day for you to claim that truth that God loves me, God is for me and God will never forsake me and God is not done working on me yet. That my story is a part of God's bigger story and God is going the distance with me. Some of you may be ready to start your race. That you may be ready to see God work something in your life. That you may be ready to submit and say, okay, I want to run this race. And you need to start the race by giving your life to God in baptism. It's, baptism is not the crowning achievement. It's not the finish line of the Christian life. Baptism is a beginning point where you say, okay, I'm ready to see what you do with me. I want you to shine through me. I'm going to make myself available. I'm going to show up. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't given him your life yet, please do now. Don't let a moment pass without starting this race. He loves you. He's for you. God won't forsake you. God's going to go through this with you. If you would, church, let's stand. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you that you are a God who doesn't give up on us. And, and God, sometimes it's hard to see through our dashed dreams or, or, or our broken plans or the things that didn't work out the way that we want them to work out. God, and it's hard for us to see from your perspective. But God, I don't have to see from your perspective. Just let me see you. That my, my, God, help me to remember that my job is to give my life to you every day and that you will handle all of the things that are beyond my control. God, you are with me and you will never forsake me.
You are with me and you will never forsake me. You are with me and you will never forsake me. God, I pray for a comeback for everyone whose dreams are dashed, for everyone whose life is not where they thought it would be. And God, I pray that the comeback is not not that they would get everything they want, God. That might be the worst thing for us. But God, I pray for a comeback where we realize that we were made for you that we won't be satisfied until we're satisfied in you. God, win our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. If you need Jesus, take this opportunity to respond while we sing together. A quick confession here. Truth be told, as I preach, I'm often preaching at myself. I'm saying what I need to be reminded of. Thankfully, my struggles and questions are not just mine. It turns out that being human brings some pretty universal challenges to all of us. I am so thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. It has never let me down. I pray that today's message blessed you with the good news. Remember, you are loved and chosen.